Speaking the language of leadership, the journey, read by the author and coach Colin Lutard. Chapter 4 Luggage Thursday, November 12, 1715. The coach got out of the taxi that had driven him to Alanda Airport. It was an uneventful ride on this grey and chilly November afternoon. He had spent some time during the ride thinking about some of the comments that the managers at DGC had made while they were discussing the future of the company. It always struck him how much managers were focused on the results. They could easily suggest operational actions that could get them closer to the goals, but these were operational goals that would give them operational results. This was important, of course, but it didn't show clearly that the people would need to change their behavior to achieve these goals. He remembered Philippa at one point saying, I just tell my people what to do and then I expect them to do as they are told. This said it all, and it was not an isolated problem that only DGC had. That view was quite common in managers, the coach reflected for himself. He was wondering further how he could get these managers to realize that they were not so rational in their thoughts, yet they expected their people to be rational. He hoped that the managers would see how their people had quite other needs when they told them what to do. Apart from building a team, he would have to develop an insight that these managers could become leaders. The coach entered through the rotating doors into Terminal 5 of Alanda Airport. He was met by a bustle of luggage trolleys going in all directions. As he realized the whole scene of the check-in hall in Terminal 5 that lay before him, he stopped and watched. All trolleys were loaded with luggage and the passengers were pushing heavily to move them along to the next stop, the queue for the check-in counters further down the hall. Other passengers were pulling cases behind them, sometimes two at a time, that appeared bulky and heavy. The cases were difficult to pull too. One businessman passed the coach very closely. He was in a hurry and his business trolley that he was guiding by his side followed him freely and effortlessly. The luggage that he had with him he steered cautiously so that it didn't collide with the coach who had stopped in the middle of the check-in hall to look around further. The businessman was followed by a young girl with a huge rucksack on her back. She was in an obvious hurry too, but the weight of the rucksack slowed her down and made every step an effort. Then there were the two elegant-looking gentlemen who were only carrying small portfolios and striding gracefully towards the security gate. They passed an elderly lady with many smaller bags and packages who was looking around at the different signs in the hall trying to figure out where to go next. She looked scared when she realized that there was a crowd of cheerful youngsters with sport bags swarming towards her. The coach took the whole scene in for a moment and realized this is what it looked like at DGC. Everyone was running around, trying to find the next destination on the journey through life. Some were alone, others had a partner, or they were in a group, some lost, and others with a clear sense of direction. Everybody seemed to be in a hurry, stressed, and had little time to see what was happening around them. They were all busy being busy, 
all of them carrying luggage of the same kind that limited their actions and efficiency in one way or another. Did you see? Could be any company. He was curious to see what luggage the people at DGC had with them, the coach thought, as he left the scene to find the check-in machines for his flight home. Friday, November 13, 8.55, the finance manager, Philippa Ask, walked into the conference room 3 at DGC for a department meeting. The conference room 3 was the third largest room, a windowless, plain room with a table for eight people, whiteboard and a projector. Philippa had called her managers of the finance department to a meeting on the goals for the following year. There were three departments in finance. Bill, who was in charge of payroll, Marie, who was responsible for invoicing and receivables, and Lars, who had a group of controllers dedicated for projects and production control. Morning all, Philippa greeted everyone from the front of the conference table facing the group. I assume you're all looking forward for your weekend. It is getting closer to the year end and the purpose of this meeting is to work further on our goals for the coming year. As you know, Marcus Daum has set our goals. They cover essentially three things. One, reduce the working capital by 10%. Two, reduce the receivables by one third. And thirdly, Ensure that we introduce new financial controlling tools for the projects to follow up at DGC. Any questions? No? She didn't wait. There were never any questions and nobody dared to ask any in such a situation. Good. I thought we would spend the next half hour to work on the changes that we need to implement to achieve that next year. I have three sheets and one by one you work and write down the ideas that you think are needed so that we can achieve the goals, okay? Philippa had it all prepared, it seemed, and nobody had any questions. Fine, she continued. You know the goals, you know the situation. I give you 45 minutes to work on this. That means I will be back at a quarter to two and we will discuss the results. Tell me if you have any questions. I'm in my office, Philippa said, and she left the meeting room. The three managers looked at each other and then looked at the three A3 pieces of paper with the headlines on them that Philippa had left on the table. They read the headlines. How to reduce receivables by one-third. How to reduce working capital by the 10%. And how to introduce new financial controlling tools. Why don't you write your ideas on the reduction of receivables? Lars asked Marie. And I can look at the working capital, Bill proposed to Lars. Then I will do the list for the new controlling services, okay? Lars said. But the others were already looking at their own lists and they were thinking. Fifty minutes later they had written a couple of points on their lists. They had pushed them forward to the center of the table and leaned back. You know what? Marie asked. We still have 30 minutes to go. Shall we share off some of the ideas? Lars asked. She didn't say we should, Bill replied. Just the same. What do you suggest? I thought we'd give the R&D project managers training first on how to follow up cost with the existing system we have. Then I think we should develop a new forecasting tool inside our system to avoid extra reporting in Excel and other lists. Then I suggest 
having a joint project tool where the cost from R&D and production introduction becomes visible. Like this, we can see the total cost of new products. Lars looked at the others, who were nodding. Yes, R&D can help a lot more than they do now, Bill confirmed. It feels like they don't really know how we work here. They just complain when we ask them to report or give forecasts on larger projects, Murray added. Bill got up. I'll get some coffee. Anyone joining? At a quarter to two, they were drinking coffee, quite content with their lists as Philippa came in. How did it go? Any good ideas? Fine, just fine, Lars assured. Let's see what you got. Philippa started to hang up the papers on the wall and read out the points one after another. Okay, good, she said. Then she turned to her computer and paged a few pages forwards and looked at the screen. I had also been looking at these goals, and I made a list, too, last night. So let's compare, she said. Item by item, she read up her points and explained her own points one by one. Occasionally, she glanced on the papers hanging on the wall and commented, Yes, you had that one, too. That is settled, then. Then we know what we will be doing, Philippa announced. I will send the list to each and every one, and then you can work on the implementation plans with your respective groups. Like this, we can be on top of our goals for next year. Good work, all. I will have it ready for our staff meeting on Tuesday morning. If you have any questions about your priorities for next year, you can bring them up to my attention next week. Have a good weekend. It was just after two o'clock when Philippa closed the lid of her laptop, left conference room three to return to her office. Flippa was satisfied that the meeting had gone so well and she had got the team involved in her goals. That was an efficient meeting, she thought to herself. Friday, November 13, 1447. Flippa was sitting at her desk in her office on the top floor of the GTC building. She looked at the corner of her screen and was reminded that it was Friday, the 13th. She shrugged off the idea that it meant anything. She didn't believe in such things. The fact was, the forecast sent to her to compile the year-end closing forecast for GGC appeared to be less than up-to-date. She had introduced a new template for reporting, and it was obvious that some of her people had not been using the template properly, despite the announcements and the information during the staff meeting. She wrote the following mail. From Philippa Ask To All Accounting Subject Get your act together for the forecasts. It read, A lot of time has been invested in developing the new reporting templates for the forecasting of the expenses of the coming period. Despite that, many of you have not been using the template correctly and have not completed the data as expected. Reporting of a forecast is a primary task at accounting, and if we can't be professional enough to solve such a basic task, I cannot understand how we shall be able to solve even more complicated tasks within GGC or towards GenConvert Group. I urge you to all review and correct your forecasts immediately and return the completed data by Monday morning, November 16, 9 a.m. Best regards, Wendlinger Helsninger, Philippa Ask, Head of Accounting. Philippa was ready to press the send button and then thinking about the first workshop with the coach, she thought she could soften the mail a bit. She added the following. P.S. To those who have completed their forecasts, I would like to apologize for the need to receive such a mail. 
Then she pressed send. Friday, November 13, 1449, and one second. Ping! Last Bruins computer indicated the arrival of an email. The controller moved the mouse over to the mail icon and pressed it. His mailbox surfaced and he looked at the last mail entry. It was from Philippa Ask. It read, Get your act together for the forecasts. Lars groaned with pain and his shoulders sank while he read it. Just on Wednesday, he had completed the forecast templates as requested. His team had many projects to forecast and it was always a challenge to get the data from the different project managers in time. But they had done their best even if the project managers in R&D never really understood what this was for. But now, reading Philippa's mail, he was unsure if they had done it correctly. He felt bad. And it was Friday, close to three o'clock. None of his team would be happy to look into the data one more time and chase project managers over the weekend to double-check the data. Philippa had done it again, he thought to himself. Just the same. He could get the team together and tell them they had to look at it one more time but they didn't know if it was correct, or who had to correct anything. Alternatively, he weighed if he could just ignore it. After all, the mail was sent to everyone. Lars could hope that one or two employees from the department could feel guilty and do something over the weekend. He could also write back to Philippa and tell her they had done their best. But if one from his team then sent the correction, he would look like an idiot, he thought, shaking his head. You look like an idiot anyway on Monday. Actually, we'll all look like idiots anyway. Lars looked up and saw Bill looking over his shoulder. Forget it. Let's get coffee. And you know what, Bill said, that thing she pulled off this morning? What thing? Making us prepare a list that she had already done by herself? We could have taken her list from the start and discussed it there and then, Bill explained. Yeah, you're right. Lars signed as he grabbed his coffee mug and got up. Thank God it's Friday. Monday, November 16, 8.05. Lars Brun stared at his mailbox. He felt paralyzed by the mail sent by Philippa Ask on Friday afternoon. He had not reacted to it, and he had felt he had to do something. He wrote, From Lars Brun to Controllers. Subject, Forward. Get your act together for the forecasts. It said, Good morning. Following Philippa's request from Friday below, please make sure that you update the templates in time. Thanks, Lars. Now, he thought, at least he had acted on behalf of Philippa's mail. He pressed send with a bit of relief, knowing that he could have done more. Lars felt he had no ambition to do more, because Philippa would criticize him anyway, whatever he did. Tuesday, November 17, 9.22. The finance manager, Philippa Ask, was sitting in the conference room 3 with her team for the weekly staff meeting. Marie, Bill and Lars were present. Philippa had talked them through the priorities she expected for the coming year. Nobody had any questions or comments. They didn't dare. One of the important points for us next year is to be in control of our processes. She pointed to one of her slides that were projected on the screen. From what I see, I don't think you realize where you stand here. As you know, we have developed the forecasting templates for the company, but I don't have them in full use yet. Lars was letting her words echo in his head and came to the conclusion that it was Philippa. 
She had developed the templates herself, and she wanted them to ensure that the templates were used in all other parts of the company. Lars felt uncomfortable about the fact that he was supposed to insist to other departments that they should use these templates. He didn't know who to address or how to make them follow suit. From the email I sent on Friday on this issue, I got little reaction. I expect that all of you make sure that you work with these templates and make sure that the respective projects are reported in the same format. Let's look at the forecasts for the projects. Here's a list of the open projects we have in the system. Philippa carried on resilently. The first list of projects was from R&D. Lars sunk into his chair. Philippa was focusing on Lars to know financial details about the projects. Are these updated figures? She looked at Lars. Sure, I guess so. Lars knew that he couldn't tell. He was relying on his controllers to have done the update in time, but in fact, he didn't know for sure. I did a comparison with the previous data and the current data, Philippa said. None of the forecasted figures have changed. Are these the right figures for the projects? She challenged Lars. Haven't you been working on the forecasts as I instructed you? Of course, we did. They had the information from you, and I followed it up with another mail. At least, he was feeling that he was telling the truth. If this data has not changed, then it must be because it was correct from the first place, I guess. Philippa was determined to see this through. Lars, I expect you to be on top of this. This is important. You make sure that this data is correct. Understood? Yes, I understand. Lars's answer was hardly audible. Tuesday, November 17, 1510. The production and logistics manager, Karl Gruen, was standing in the hall to the production unit next to the whiteboard that displayed the production figures. This was their regular three o'clock handover meeting with the two shift leaders. For the early and day shift, there was Jim, and for the afternoon and night shift, there was John. Both had been running the shifts for a while. As you know, we are down by 1,500 pieces this week. Carl was looking at the data sheet. I would be pleased if you could get the day rate of 500 pieces at night as well. The normal average is only 350, which is a big gap. John, I need you to do the utmost to achieve 500. Is that understood? But, but, but in the past we have had problems with the material, John explained. Some of the material is not in place sufficiently to run the production all night. Only last week the, the parts for the DC-320 ran out. And why is that? asked Carl. I assume that the DC-320 was running most of the day too, and most of the material was used during the day, so, so we didn't have enough stock for the night shift. John was certain that he had no fault. Why was the day shift running the 320 so heavily? Carl turned to Jim. We had an urgent order for the DC-321, which we wanted to complete that day, so the night shift didn't have to switch the setup of the machines at night. That always has an impact on the quality, so we decided to run the complete batch during the day. But the volume was higher than the normal stock order for the DC-320. That is why we had to use more stock. Jim was convinced that the day shift had done the right thing. Okay, 
Carl saw that he was not getting anywhere and there was nobody to blame. What is the stock situation today? Jim gave confirmation. It is normal. No unusual consumption. Just make sure that you keep the goal for tonight. Carl realized that there was room for improvement for sure, but so far nothing had really changed. The morning shift complained that the night shift had not completed all the tasks, and the night shift complained that the day shift had not given them all the material for the tasks that were prepared for the night shift. It was simply a never-ending story. There never was a person to be found who was really responsible for the problems they had. There were always reasonable explanations why certain things happened, but the results were still not good enough. Thursday, December 4, 1307. The R&D manager, David Swart, had called in Robert Bloh, the project manager for the new DC430 and the project team for the regular project meeting. He knew that there were a couple of issues which he wanted to get to the bottom of. They were going to go through the different issues they had encountered from the field tests. He had scheduled an hour to go through the details with the team. One after another, the team members had arrived in the conference room three. Robert, the project manager, was facing Carl. On Robert's right was the mechanical designer, Victor. And to his left, the software developer, Alexander. Lucas, the electrical designer, was sitting at the far end of the table. David opened the meeting. What have you found out during the field test, then? Robert had prepared a report and handed it over to everyone. I have compiled a report of the most important issues we have right now. I have categorized them following the functional groups hardware, software, electrical. The electrics look good right now. But we have issues with the software. We have got stable results on the reading. We discovered that from the field tests in France. Unfortunately, right now, we don't really know what that is due to, but we are working on it. Have you looked at increasing the frequency? David suggested. We are looking at that. But that would have an impact on the electrics. We don't know if we can manage that. So we are looking at the other reasons for the fluctuations. Robert was speaking slowly and thoughtfully. A couple of years back, we had similar issues. We changed the frequency and that solved the problem. Could we change the specification for the power source? David asked. That is an option we are considering. But I need to check that with marketing first. I'm not sure if the customers will like that. Robert was more hesitant as he spoke about the marketing department. So, if they would agree, you could fix it? David concluded. Possibly, but we still have to, um, we still have one or two issues we want to look into. It was obvious that Robert still had some suggestions to look further into the causes of this problem, but David was already fixed on the marketing department. Go and talk to marketing. Like this, we can solve it, David proposed. What else do I need to know? Robert started paging through his report, looking for something. Victor leaned over and pointed to a page in the report. There is this supplier who we are working with on the DC430. He says that he cannot supply the new circuit in the requested time. He's asking for another eight weeks for the required changes. That is actually a problem for the project planning. Like this, we can't finalize the version before March. 
What delay are you talking about in total? David leaned forward, trying to find the page in Robert's report. This could be six weeks in total, Victor replied. We wanted them to change something in the way of mounting their device into our chassis to get more stability. I made a design change on our chassis to reduce the magnetical influence, and we want to test that. That's AB's free supply who is supplying that, right? David asked. He had a suspicion that Philippa was behind this. He was certain they had blocked payments for AB's free supply for the quality issues they had had in production. Now he was expected to pay for that. Robert, tell AB's free supply that we are not taking any of this. They can do better and give us the intention and service we deserve. And if I have to be in a meeting, I will be there. David stabbed his finger on the report. I don't expect any delays. We have enough work to do, Robert. David was collecting his papers. You'd better get going too. Thanks. Good work. Let's get going. David got up and left. Leaving the conference room, he felt very much in control of the project. He thought he had taken the important decisions for the project and given the team the direction they needed. Thursday, December 4, 1457. The project manager, Robert Bloor, was still sitting in the conference room when he started packing up his things after the meeting. David had left. The meeting was over. He looked around at Victor, Alexander and Lucas. Well, that was pretty much like always, right? Robert said with a sigh. We will look into the reasons which we discussed before, but on top of that we must check with marketing if we can increase the frequency. Lucas protested. But they had already said at the beginning of the project that they were not to that we were not to increase the specifications of the customer demands. I know that. But David demanded that we check just the same. You know how he is. He is the one running the project and we are responsible for the results. Robert had a tone of resignation and frustration in his voice. Victor turned to the subject of the supplier ABC Supply. I don't know why we should play hardball with them. We were changing the specs, so I'm actually not surprised that they need time to adapt to our changes. What shall we do? I'll take care of that myself. Robert thought that he would not do anything about that at all. They had good relations to product management at ABC Supply, and he was not going to risk that. They had relied on the corporation and he would have to do so in the future if they wanted them developing new products together. Back to work, guys. Robert was trying to encourage himself too. Leaving the conference room, Robert felt a stomach turn. It happened again and again that his boss, David, had overruled him as a project manager in front of his team. That felt bad every time. Not being able to get his ideas through to his boss and having him decide on his project was not helping his commitment to the goal at all. Robert felt that he was loyal towards his project. He knew that he was doing the right thing, technically, but he had a conflict with his boss. He couldn't feel loyal to him. To deliver the project, he felt he was forced to lie and fake results. Adding to that, he was feeling that he was less and less in charge of the project. He felt more like a project assistant, writing reports and gathering data for the meetings. In the end, his boss took the decisions. With the team present during these meetings, they could see that too. They appeared to be more and more reluctant in accepting to follow his ideas. 
All in all, that was a stressful situation for Robert, and he was not sure how much longer he could be able to take that. He had no idea how he could change that either. Friday, December 12, 1829. The managing director of DGC, Marcus Daum, pulled a computer bag out from under his desk and started packing for the things he was going to take home to work over during the weekend. While his laptop was shutting down, he collected some printouts from the project reports and production figures and added them to the pile of papers he wanted to take home. Just in case, he thought. When he pushed his laptop into the bag, he realized that it was already very full. It would be difficult to close it. So much luggage, he thought, as he forced the zip fastener to close. He got his coat from the hangar and took a short look out of his office window. It was already dark outside and his reflection was strong in the window. He could hardly make out the lights from the houses outside. Marcus took another look at his empty desk and switched off the light from the door as he left. It was Friday and he was the last one to leave the office. He took the steps down to the ground floor and chose the rear door to the yard. The front door where Barbara sat was locked for the night. He opened the rear door and stepped outside. The winter night air overwhelmed him as every time, but it was not freezing yet, and the snowfall earlier that month had not stayed long. Marcus walked across the yard to the road and turned towards the town centre. He only had a couple of hundred metres to walk to the bus stop, where the 804 bus would take him to the railway station. He was a little late already. At last he was on his way home, he thought, and realised it was starting to rain slightly. He hoped to catch the bus when he heard a noise that stuck out from the distant grumble of the traffic and trains. Marcus turned to the sound, but he couldn't make out anything. He was sure that it was the sound of a heavy diesel engine. It must be the bus, he thought, and his heart missed a beat. He'd better run, he concluded, as he quickened his pace. He was looking forward to the ride in the bus rather than walking in the rain. But then he wasn't sure if it was the bus after all. Could it be just a lorry? He contradicted himself and stopped himself from running. But then Marcus saw the source of the noise and he identified a bus drawing closer. Damned buses, he said, and started to run. He could easily beat the bus. It was only 200 meters to the bus stop. He could do it, he thought. I hope he waits long enough. But they never do, he said over his breath. And he remembered the times before when he chased the school bus when he was a child. They never did wait for him he remembered. Marcus caught up with the bus standing at the bus stop a little longer than usual. He was the last one climbing on board, still a little out of breath. Feeling like a schoolchild and reliving the frustration of the bus chases, he glared at the bus driver with all the frustration built up from his childhood. Marcus punched the ticket machine with intentional force, wordlessly passed the driver and moved towards the empty seat. He slumped down as the bus jerked and moved off. What was this all about? he wondered to himself. Where did all the sudden feeling of frustration come from that overwhelmed him all of a sudden? he questioned himself. Marcus put his computer bag on his knees and held it. He suddenly felt the weight of the bag on his legs. It dawned on him how much luggage he was carrying around with him. You have been listening to a chapter of Speaking the Language of Leadership. Read to you by the author and coach, Colin Lutart. If you would like to know more about speaking the language of leadership or the method presented in this book, 
called It's Four Sides of Leadership and reach out to me, Coach Colin, then you simply write an email to language at itsfoursides.com. That's language at itsfoursides.com. And we'll take it from there. Take care.